The story of the hour about heroics during a time of universal deceit so often rests on the shoulders of people like Dr. Mary Bowden. You remember from the show that she was uh, fired by Houston Methodist Hospital via text message because she'd had the audacity to treat people with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and other methods and hence keep them out of the hospital. She was called a danger to the medical profession. And she's suing and she's speaking out, and that's heroic. Those are the cases. We recently had John Alunion, who's done himself no economic favors in England by speaking out about the, uh, these clots in people's bodies that sure don't look like blood clots that are killing people. So often the heroics rest there. But I have been negligent in not recognizing that around the country and around the world, there are people who have played this game very differently. And because I speak for a living, and because (laughs) there's very few things I think that the Lord chose to bless me with uh, in terms of talents, in terms of talents, skepticism, pattern recognition, and not being afraid to speak. The Lord poured that all over me, and I'm very thankful for that. Sometimes I forget that other people have different gifts. Quiet dignity. Quiet acts of bravery. And so we're going to talk about some of that. And there's news. There's breaking news. Remember how the Oath Keepers were desperate domestic terrorists ready to destroy the American government? That's why they brought guns to, to take hostages and to shoot members of Congress. Remember that? Yeah. There's breaking news on that about another quiet hero who's only now being recognized. But these are a people of a template. And their gifts so often go hidden. I'm thinking of a truck driver. Years ago, I was a kid. I was probably 16 or 17. And my friend Matthew had come all the way from Seattle to visit and we had met his parents in, where did we meet them? We met them halfway across the state, picked Matthew up, brought him over. He's a brother to me. His dad is a second dad to me, Gary. His mom is a second mom to me, Karen. And Matthew and I had this great weekend together. In Spokane, and then I was to drive him back, and we were going to meet again halfway, but I got a flat tire. And man, my dad came... and. <laughs> He drove out, and it was a bizarre. My sister came out. She got stuck in the middle of the, the median. She got stuck in her car because she saw us, drove by, and came back. The jack wasn't in the truck. That wasn't my fault in my defense. The jack wasn't in the truck. I couldn't change the tire. She brought the jack. She got stuck in the median. So then a trucker came by, called my dad uh, you know, from his, his rig, however he did that. My dad came out. His truck became disabled. <laughs> the, I mean, that had never happened. Uh, the transmission on his truck got disabled and he dislocated his knee. And his jack wouldn't lift this stupid Mazda pickup. And he had to get my sister out of this, this jam. So he went to concentrate on that with the transmission that only worked in low gear. And we're stuck there. And meanwhile, Matthew's parents are driving across the state. And a trucker stopped. He pulled over in a huge 18-wheeler. And he said, looks like quite the family meeting. I don't know how he knew. He knew. And he found a way to jack the truck up so we could change the tire. And I said, will you let me pay you? I know you make a lot of money as a trucker or you do well, but will you let me pay you? And he said, no. Promise me this. Someday you're going to be on the road and one of my brothers in a truck is going to be pulled over and he's going to have a hood up. You're going to be the guy who stops. And you might not be able to help him mechanically, but you're going to be the guy who stops. And you're going to be the guy who says, hey, you need a bottle of soda. You need something to drink. You need a ride. You promised me that. And I said, I absolutely promise you that. Promise fulfilled multiple times to my great, great pleasure. I've been negligent. 
I have chosen to forget that there's a lot of people with their heads down playing the game differently. Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. This one's for you. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Times such as these require us to make decisions, and not deciding to be on God's side is a decision. Riding the fence is also a decision. Choosing to move to the side of God is, of course, an active decision. That's what we're called to do. We're also called, of course, to make decisions about where we put our money. And not talking here about investment money. I'm talking about something you're going to buy every month for the rest of your life. And that's soap to clean your body. And you have a choice of where you put your money. And my money goes with Allen Soaps at allensoaps.com slash Todd. It is a company predicated upon all lives matter. And it proves it every single day. They employ a young man named Alan. Hence, Alan Soaps. He's the chief soap officer. And Alan is the creative force behind a number of their fragrances, some of the most unique. Uh, And he's also a guy who works there every day. He's only 12. And for him to go to work is quite a pain. And I mean that in the literal sense. Alan's on his seventh or eighth operation. Because in addition to being very high up on the autism spectrum, Alan is also challenged by, by structural health concerns except he chooses joy. So the soap is an expression of this. So many of the fragrances come from joyful memories of Alan's past, memories with grandma, memories of, of, of memory trunks. And you can learn all about this at alansoaps.com slash Todd, but then understand in purchasing the soap, you're supporting a company whose goal is to hire more people like Alan. And it's not, these aren't mascots. Allen works, quality control, shipping, inventing soaps, and they hope to hire more Allens. And they've already had all sorts of opportunities to make money an easier way just by licensing the name and pretending to hire people like Allen and instead just giving them money. They won't do it because work is at the center of this, but it's the product. Just like with everything else we endorse, we just ask you to try the product to make a decision based upon the product. Is it fantastic soap? It's all natural. It's small batch, utterly unique fragrances, some without fragrances. All of it to prove the point to the big companies. How come we can do this and you guys can't? Why can we have respect for life and you you guys choose not to? So yeah, we have decisions about where we put our money. Mine is alansoaps.com slash Todd, A-L-A-N-S soaps.com slash Todd. So often in life, particularly in times of universal deceit, it is people who speak out who end up being heroes like John O'Looney, the funeral director with whom we spoke a few weeks ago. We manually target the arteries and the veins with with, uh, the embalming pump and we push formaldehyde down the individual arteries to embalm them because they've all been cut. Um, now, when we did this for a young man a few weeks ago who was 30, he um, he died suddenly, undetermined, waiting for histology, you know, because they they can't find the cause of death, so they clutch at straws. Um, and then we found this inside his artery. It's an 18-inch clot that was all over in this young man's body, caused clearly caused by the injections. John O'Looney is not doing himself any financial favors by speaking out. He's commonly thought of as a hero. And he is one. And I'm negligent. There have been, I'm certain, hundreds of thousands of scenes across the United States. Scenes that I should have thought of. I have shared with you the stories of families whose kids were attempted gender jacking victims and doctors coming and saying to the father, do you want that social worker to get your kid gender jacked? No. 
then I suggest you get your daughter out of here. I will distract her while you do that. That doctor whose name is Lou didn't hold up a sign. He didn't scream from the rooftops, that's a boy, not a girl. He chose a path that could be described as wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. And he did that at tremendous pain because his own son has been gender jacked. There are no doubt hundreds of thousands of scenes, and this one is for you. If you listen to the show, and I have not yet recognized your gentle nature as a gentle warrior, an invisible soldier, let me rectify that. I'm speaking of the nurses who have pulled parents aside and said to them, I know that you're here to talk about the gender thing with your kid. Do you want some input? And if the parents say yes, the nurse has put her career at risk by saying, get out. Get out. They're only allowed to push hormones and surgery here. There's no safe place for you in this in Washington State or Oregon or California. I'm begging you to get your kid out. This is not going to help them. I love you and I thank you and I apologize for not recognizing your way of being a soldier. Because so often it's the people who are allowed that get our attention like the founder of the Lancet now removed from polite scientific society, read mobbed up society. I chaired a commission for the Lancet for two years on COVID. I'm pretty convinced it came out of uh, U.S. lab biotechnology, not out of nature. Right. Heroic. Attention grabbing, at least from people who choose to share the truth. But there's also been thousands of cases, hundreds of thousands of cases almost certainly around the country, and this is for the docs. I I, I know that there are people, doctors, who have said in the quiet, most careful way, and I don't speak quiet or careful. It's one of my great deficits. You know, I had to be taught to speak passive-aggressive. I had to be taught how someone praising you as smart is kneecapping you in corporate America. I had to be be taught the underhanded techniques of embrace and extinguish. This is where someone in corporate America pretends to sponsor what you want to do as as someone below them. And they say, hey, I love this. Let me take this on. Let me steward this for you. And then what they do is extinguish it or they study it to death. I was really, really excited when one of my uh, papers, thought papers at Microsoft got accepted and they put a McKinsey study on it. And what I didn't understand is, oh my gosh, they're going to spend $250,000 on a McKinsey study for my idea. Wow, they must really like this. It gave them a great reason for 18 months to not do it. Oh, well, the McKinsey study's going on. And the McKinsey study came back and said, yeah, this is a fantastic idea. This could be a big moneymaker, except we're late to the market by about 18 months. I had to learn that style. You guys know this style. There's been doctors, and this one's for you, docs. I have been negligent. I'm certain there's been cases where you have spoken to families and said, does your, does your son have any, I don't see any history of, of pneumonia, or bronchitis, anything like that, anything that's not, I don't see any upper respiratory issues, or certainly your son doesn't show any signs of obesity, none of your kids do, looks like you're a very healthy family, is that right, and eat well and exercise, God blessed you with good genetics, and, and I know that you've said, um, I'm curious, why do you want to get the, the COVID injections? And you've probably done this in a very smart way, in a super gentle way. And heard parents say, well, we just think it's the best, best way to protect our kids. And, you know, we just, we've heard a lot on TV and, okay, all right. Are you interested in hearing about any of the risks? Because I'm legally required to tell you, if you, you know, I'm legally required to inform you of the risks. Uh, Do you mind if I do that? And what parent is going to say, no, don't, don't inform us. So 
So for the doctors who did that, if you've ever felt like I have lumped you in to a group of people who have been cowards, let me take this opportunity to beg your forgiveness. Please forgive me. And let me take this opportunity to recognize and remind myself that there's a lot of ways to speak out. And the cup that you've been given to drink is different from the one that I've been given to drink. And the way that you serve truth is different than the way I serve truth. And I want to apologize for, for ever coming across that everybody needs to speak truth in the way that I speak truth. I, I think of teachers. I think of some guys that I think are really angry at me. Guys at a gym I go to once in a while whose behaviors around me have just utterly changed. And I'm throwing this out and I'm guessing that they become cold to me because they've heard the cast. And here's this pompous jackass. Uh, that's, that's profanity. Here's this pompous fool spouting off about how all, all teachers need to quit and walk away. And let me just take that moment to shove that pride back into my mouth and to beg God's forgiveness. Because you're probably the teachers who won't teach the gender garbage, aren't you? You're probably the teachers who have said, hey, bud, I'm not going to throw away my pension and I'm not going to lose contact with my kids. I'm going to let them know how I feel about this in subtle ways that maybe you're just too blockheaded to get. Maybe you're just too set on your, your alpha male vocal presentation. Maybe I'm just gifted with subtlety or they're just gifted with subtlety that I'm not. And so there's probably been hundreds of conversations. Or you've probably had quiet conversations with your kids on a school bus back from a sporting event. And maybe you've been really subtle and really smart. And maybe you've said things like, but if someone can just say they're a girl, can't they just say they're a dog? Or if someone can say they're a girl, couldn't I just say that I'm 18 and, or 17 and come and you know, join the wrestling team and wrestle against you? Or you probably said subtle and maybe even semi-dangerous things like saying, hey, look, if, 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 if you know, your friend, this boy, can say he's a girl, why can't I, a 54-year-old teacher, decide that I'm 17 and start dating your sister? And you probably said it in a joking way. And you've probably disarmed. You've probably planted seeds of doubt in the minds of young people. And you've probably borne fruit with that. And so you've heard this guy with the podcasts and the top one half of 1% of downloads and who's been gifted by God with this. And you might have thought, why are you such a mean cuss? when it comes to us teachers. Well, let me please take the opportunity to apologize to you. And let me ask for your forgiveness. And let me apologize for bearing false witness against a profession. And let me apologize for acting like everybody needs to do it like I do it. And let me recognize that you are probably just as hurt about what your profession has become as am I. You know, that particular revelation was inspired by a friend of mine who has a deep gift of sincerity, who is really either able to act sincere, which I don't believe, or to be unbelievably honest and sincere. And I mentioned this yesterday, that she felt it so important for me to understand that she and her husband have their kids in a school where the office lady plays Jesus music, modern Christian pop, all day. And she doesn't apologize for it for a second. It's how she spends her day in the office, and the kids hear it. Yes, it's conservative North Idaho. Yes, there are far more churches here. But that's an act of defiance. It's subtle. It's brave. It's beautiful. It brings the word of God Almighty in the name of Jesus into a school building all day. <laughs> what do I do?
podcast for a couple of hours and a bunch of that on politics. So office lady <laughs> and the strange, if it's happenstantially occurred that you have heard this podcast and you're saying, hey, that sounds like me or you're one of our North Idaho podcast family members and you're going, that sounds like Aunt Mary. Or, hey, that sounds like the office lady at my school. Don't put it on social media. Don't out her. Do me a favor. Just go whisper in her ear. Just go and say, hey, there's a dude. God's blessed him with a really highly downloaded podcast. And he wants to apologize to you for not recognizing that people like you exist and that you're doing God's work in a way different from him. Would you do that? If that sounds like the office lady you know personally, or maybe you're such an office person. I find that funny. My friend is far younger than me, but we said office lady too. I think people need a different title than office lady. There's news. It's exclusive. It's breaking news about uh, a quiet hero on January 6th that puts the lie to what the Oath Keepers were about. We'll talk about that and more quiet heroes. Hey, the finance world, um, it's in need of a whole bunch of heroics. It really is. Um, you know, my friend Zach Abraham, it, this is this is the last, probably the last chance we post these podcasts at 5 a.m. on, on uh, the mornings. So it is Thursday morning when this has been posted. I don't know when you're listening to it. It's uh, not live radio. Uh, but this afternoon, uh, 3 o'clock Pacific, our friend Zach Abraham is uh, doing one of his free live webinars. And these are extraordinary events because you've heard Zach every week on the program. You hear him talk about risk management. You know that risk management is at the heart of what Bulwark Capital Management does. And you know that whether you're, you know, if, if, if you're retired, you can move your money over there. If you're in that danger window 10 to 15 years from retirement, you really should look at moving your money over there. Um, I didn't know this. If you're 58 or above and you're still working and you got a 401k, as I understand it, you can move your 401k into Zach's hands without having a taxable event. You don't have to leave your company. You don't have to do anything like that. It's just that you slide it over to Jack, Zach for management. It's a great way to start now. Uh, today, last chance this year to attend a free live webinar from Bulwark Capital Management in this live webinar. They're going to take your portfolio. They can't look at everybody's portfolios, but they're going, to, they're going to give you the tools to determine whether your portfolio is set for risk management. Is it set to survive and thrive within the chaos economy? Right? That's what they're doing. So they're going to ask or answer questions that will lead you to that answer. Can, are you well set up for the chaos economy with your portfolio, be it large or small or medium? Zach's going to go into detail about their risk management strategy, how they do it, what the strategy is, what the tactics are. He'll talk about the 60-40 stock bond mix. We all learned that's now completely outdated. And he'll answer questions. That's my favorite part because Zach at heart, Zach's a teacher. And man, he gets jazzed teaching this stuff. Great coaches, great teachers love the thing they do and they love to teach it. You may leave and decide to do it on your own and Zach would be cool with that. But you may leave and say, you know what? I want this guy handling our money at Bulwark. Just go to knowyourriskradio.com to register. That's knowyourriskradio.com, but you better hurry. Investment advice can't begin with a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor, representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. Yeah, it's um, so often the people who speak out uh, vociferously, particularly in times of universal deceit, telling the truth is an act of defiance and bravery. Dr. Mary Bowden decided to tell the truth. She was fired from her job at a hospital. Go ahead, Mary. So eight months ago, I received probably one of the most startling text messages I have ever received in my life. I looked down, and it was a Friday afternoon, and it was a reporter from the Houston Chronicle asking me to confirm, is it true that your privileges have been suspended from Houston Methodist? And I, I did a double take and I argued back and I said, no, no, what are you talking about? Who told you that? And I learned that the hospital had told them that. The hospital had gone to the Houston Chronicle to let them know 
uh, that they were taking disciplinary action against me. Uh, I did not get the courtesy of any kind of phone call or um, anything like that. And uh, I did check my email and there was a suspension letter waiting for me in my email. Um, I then was informed that there were some interesting tweets going out and checked Twitter and there were um, a series, of, a thread of tweets um, from Methodist Hospital publicly attacking me and implying that I'm dangerous. Um, and you know, this is something that for a doctor to be called dangerous is not something you can easily recover from. She was put in the position of having to sue it's a heroic act. It's also an act that she must take to get her career back. I'm brought to mind of pharmacists who are under enormous pressure from the party to deny people ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. They have been pressured to murder people and to cause their deaths. And I'm sure there are pharmacists who've chosen a different path. I mean, there are pharmacists who've spoken out. I'm certain there are pharmacists who've chosen different paths and have done things quietly and wisely. Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, as it says in the Bible. It's one of my wife's favorite passages from the Bible. So to you in the pharmacy careers who pulled a customer aside and said in a very quiet way, knowing it could be a, a cop or a investigator, can we even believe that this is a conversation in the United States of America? And yet it must be. And he pulled them aside and said, there's a source for this online. There's a pharmacy in Sandpoint. There's a pharmacy in North Bend. There's a pharmacy right outside Austin. Here's some sources. May I give this to you? In our state, I could get in real trouble for filling this. I could get fired. I could lose my license. These places are doing it. Here's the closest one. I beg your forgiveness for not recognizing earlier your form of heroics. How many people? Thousand? Two thousand people you've helped that way? I, I really ask you to forgive me for, for being so prideful so as to not recognize that not everyone does it the way I do it. You know, there are fathers, there are parents who've been put in the position of calling pharmacies and going at them and recording it. Can you increase your conversation? Yes, we can. Yeah, hi. Are you a pharmacist? Yes, how can I help? Yeah, hey, I've got a question. My wife, um, against my wishes, brought my son, seven-year-old son in there yesterday, or sorry, a few days ago for a COVID jab, and he's now in the hospital with myocarditis. Um, and I was... Uh, obviously not very happy with you guys or with my wife. Um, she told me that she was not told that was a potential side effect. So why wouldn't you have told her that? That father in Australia uh, went on to get really heated with that pharmacy rep. And I fully understand why he would get heated with that pharmacy rep. But I failed to recognize the parents who've also held marriages together. And have helped convince their wife or their husband to not get the kids injected. And you have done it with dignity and you've done it quietly. And you have preserved a marriage. And I know that you're out there. I know you are. And so I want to thank you for preserving a family. I want to apologize to you for having not recognized that before. And again, thinking that everybody must do it my way. It's one of my least admirable qualities. Sometimes it's the gentle corrections. There was a guy at Microsoft once. I was um, in line for a promotion, which I ultimately got. 
And Mike said to me in his office, he said, I don't know if you're aware of how many people you've hurt. I said, what? Because you've, you've really stepped on some people. You really have. And I get it. I get the culture here. I've been here for 15 years. I used to be just like you, exactly like you, stepping on people. I just don't know if you're aware of who you've stepped on. He goes, look, I'm going to recommend that you get the hire. You're clearly well positioned for this to help our, our division. I just want to ask you, are you aware of the people you've stepped on? And God saved me from a moment of, of real pride. And I started to get angry. And then I thought, wait a minute, this man is being, being beautifully honest. He's not being passive aggressive. He's not doing the corporate thing of, of pretending he's going to help me and step, he's going to step on me. And he could have, man, he could have squelched that whole thing. And I said, you know, Mike, um, number one, wow, thank you for that. Like being honest. Thank you for coming straight out and saying it. Number two, yeah, I, I, I really can think of some people. I really can. That I've been cruel to or you said stepped on. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I said, there's one thing I want to ask you to do. And there's a guy who's being managed out of the, um, of the organization. I, I just think he's in the wrong job. And I think he's a guy you stepped on. And he said, I want you to consider hiring him to work for you in a different role. And so he told me this gentleman's name. And since I've described that circumstance, I won't say his name, but started with an M, another M. And I said, I'll do it. He goes, not because I asked you to. I said, well, no, it is partly because you asked me to, but it's the way you asked me. And it's the honesty that you employed. Do you know that that guy was embarrassed to walk into my office because he had been, he, he, when he could, he had stepped on me. He did. And when I could, I stepped on him. You know that we ended up having one of the best partnerships that I've had in business. It was fruitful for both of us. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to say that M has, has continued on in his career there and he's done so well. He finally got slotted into the right place. So for the mics of the world and people like that who do it quietly and in a dignified way and gentle as a dove, wise as a serpent, let me just issue a broad scale apology for insisting that everybody do it my way. You know, Tim Cruikshank, who runs Bonefrog Coffee, is sort of a quiet hero. Um, in all the times that I've talked with him, and we talk a co- coffee, talk the coffee business a lot. It's clearly, you know, where Tim's head is at. But he called me the other day to visit about some family things and some things the family had been through. And man, that, that man is a quiet hero, 25-year Navy veteran, Navy SEAL. And I, I'm not licensed to tell his full story, but I will tell you this, um, quiet heroics to save a family. Now, his, his marriage is strong, but, but to save a family member. And I would also <laughs> advise you this, man. Don't you ever, ever, ever even dream of trying to get between Mike and Karen for his wife. I mean, I mean, um, don't, don't ever, I'm sorry, get between Tim. I'm having a Biden moment. Don't you ever dream of getting, trying to get between Tim Cruikshank and his ability to care for his wife. The quiet Tim takes a break. I'm telling you. The quiet Tim takes a break and the Navy SEAL is sitting across from you. And the shift happens quickly. Yeah. Quiet. Well, there's so many quiet things. I hope one day to be able to tell you about Bonefrog at bonefrog.us. We focus on the product. It's solid. Please go try it. Pick the coffee roast that appeals to you. The 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 blend. Uh, K cup or 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 you know French press or drip, you know whole bean whatever is your pleasure. Try it. 
And if you love it and the price fits for you, buy it, subscribe at bonefrog.us. You get 5% off lifetime. But please hear me when I tell you this. One day, you're going to read the story about the behind the scenes of Bonefrog and what went on behind the scenes and how the product got so excellent, but also what that, that man, that quiet hero, Tim Cruikshank, did to keep Bonefrog going, to keep his family going. One day, you're going to learn the whole story. And I'll also see if one day I can get Tim to tell the story about when a dude made the decision <laughs> to try to get between Tim and his beloved wife and click on like a switch came the Navy SEAL. Bad decision that guy made. It's bonefrog.us, 5% off lifetime. Our ask is just try the coffee. If the if it's great and I think you'll think it's the best coffee you've ever had and the price point fits, plug in. God team country that's what it says in the bags that's how they act bonefrog.us i knew it was the right time to talk about this uh when i was just i i talked to my friend and she she talked about she and her husband and where their kids go to school and i told her at the time i said dang it now i'm gonna have to do another show on based on something that you said and I knew I would use wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, because it explains it. But it also is one of my wife's favorite phrases. My wife very quietly locks herself in a bathroom, the smallest of her bathrooms, very quietly, multiple times per week, and she counts beads to get our daughter off of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. It is the most painstaking, dreadful task literally opening up those capsules and counting beads. Because wouldn't you know it, darn the luck, Big Pharma doesn't provide step-down kits. Yeah, they don't down-dose kids. They don't want kids getting off these pills. So they make it as hard as possible. Now my wife is going to use a very special pharmaceutical scale to shave pills and save the shavings. And put them in capsules. Quite heroics. And I know I've mentioned that on the show before, but I don't do it enough. And so please, um, I would ask my wife to accept my apology that I don't enough mention that. Act of quiet heroics. January 6th. Um, the Oath Keepers. This is another reason I'm just so thankful that this was the time that we did this show. I don't often read a whole uh, article. In fact, uh, the Maha, God rest rush, used to say that only professionals should ever read news on the air. And and I am not uh, a professional like Rush was. No one is. But man, he used to caution callers. And (laughs) as a matter of fact, as a fill-in host at EIB, from time to time, people would call and say, uh, hey, Todd, can I read something to you? And I'd say, hey, wait, wait, wait. Uh, How long have you been been a, a student at EIB? Oh, 20 years. You know that's not allowed. Callers don't get to read things. Only only professionals get to do that. And then I think we made a rule that uh, since it was a guest host, we could have guest host uh, rules since we would never reach excellence in broadcasting. <laughs> so I think we allowed like a short paragraph uh, from time to time. This is from the Epic Times, speaking of quiet heroics. Headline, exclusive, retired police sergeant, Oath Keeper helped rescue Capitol Police on Jan 6 at the moment the world needed it. It's written by Joseph M. Hanneman at the Epic Times, October 24, 2022. I can help. Amid the bedlam of 10,000 voices chanting, singing, and shouting on the East Terrace of the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, those three words cut through the haze like a lighthouse beam. The target of the message was U.S. Capitol Police Lieutenant Tarek Khalid Johnson, 46, who scanned the crowd for someone to help with an urgent mission. The speaker was retired New York Police Sergeant Michael Joseph Nichols, 46, an oath keeper who knew all about riots and making decisions under fire. Their mission's success depended on a partnership of exhausted besieged Capitol Police and a group of Oath Keepers, a patriot organization that would soon be the target of an unrelenting war on, quote, domestic terror by the U.S. Department of Justice and the FBI. 
Nichols and his wife, Whitney, 33, had no intention of being at the Capitol on the afternoon of Jan 6. After hearing President Trump's speech at the Ellipse, they wanted to return to the Virginia Hotel, but, but blocked streets and the, quote, herding of crowds by police put them at the bottom of the east steps of the Capitol at around 3 p.m. Before the afternoon was over, Nichols, an oath keeper, uh, pardon me, Nichols, an oath keeper named Steve, and others would go into the Capitol at the request of a desperate lieutenant and rescue 15 riot-gear-clad officers and one uniformed police officer trapped inside. It was a good deed, to be sure. Unbeknownst to the participants, however, it would later punch a hole in the government's narrative that the Oath Keeper's purpose that day was to violently overthrow the United States government and keep Trump in office at any cost. Lieutenant Johnson and Nichols approached each other by chance at the ground level not far from the east steps. I went right up to him and I said, how can I help you get control of the situation? It doesn't look good over here. Nichols told the Epic Times during a series of interviews. If you can help me move uh, aside these people, I'd appreciate it, Johnson said on the video, pulling on his COVID mask. I just need to get these officers out of there. Nichols and Steve's facial expression instantly changed when they heard police officers were needing assistance. Oh, they're trying to get out? Asked Steve, a retired medvac helicopter pilot, an army veteran. Oh, I can do that. I'll go help you. I'll go in. I can help you, Nichols said. Nichols started heading for the steps, then turned around and flashed the gold retired sergeant shield and reiterated, I can help. Johnson handed him a bullhorn and the group moved out of, out for the steps. What was about to take place would have been largely lost to history if Rico La um, Starza, a th- a 30, a Florida-based videographer, had not approached just at the edge of time. I happened to look over and I see Capitol Police officers with a Trump hat on. And I said, well, that's interesting. Lestarza told the Epic Times, let's go figure out what's going on there. And the men began climbing the stairs to the giant Columbus doors. The crowd was treated to the suspicious droning of still unidentified and never indicted masked man who researchers dubbed the scaffold commander who told um, stood unmolested for hours high above the crowd bellowing the patriots should go into the Capitol. Johnson grabbed Nichols' left hand with his right hand, and they started working through the crowd. Steve kept his right hand on Johnson's back. I'm with you, brother, Lestarza said to Steve as he brought up the rear. Lestarza trailed the trio with his camera and kept a watchful eye on Lieutenant Johnson's holstered service weapon. I realize nobody's even watching this guy's gun, Lestarza said. So my plan is I'll just fall back a bit, hang back a little bit, a foot or so. And for any of these guys to grab his gun, I can do something about it. A short time before Nichols and Steve approached the Columbus doors, Oath Keepers member Robert Minuta, 38, and Joshua James, 35, were asked by a different Capitol Police official if they would help get officers who wanted to leave out of the building. He said, we can have this area. They're trying to get the guys out, Minuta told the Epic Times. We followed behind law enforcement into the fora through the Columbus doors, so our intention was to help get the cops out. They said they wanted out. As Oath Keepers, we work alongside law enforcement, Minuta said. I mean, a lot of uh, members are law enforcement, so it's not uncommon for us to interact with them and offer to help if they need anything. Seeing a gathering of police, Minuta and James headed towards the rotunda. I started yelling from behind, let's go, get these cops out of here. Come on, let, let them get out. Let them get out of here. The last thing I said was, let them out. I was loud enough, Minuta said, because you're in a crowd full of people. There's pepper spray and tear grass. It was intense, so I was yelling. I was aggressive, but that's what we went in there for, is to get the cops out. James got into a tangle with one of the officers. You want out? He shouted. Just before the officers struck him on the left shoulder, James then lost his um, expletive, Minuta said, and began pulling the officer, shouting, get out of my capital, get out. This is my expletive building. This is not yours. Minuta theorized that James, a combat veteran of the Purple Heart, got triggered by the hit and shove from the officer, causing him to lash out in a fight-or-flight response. It was uncharacteristic of James and the Oath Keepers, Minuta said, recalling they specifically discussed earlier that day to not get into skirmishes with law enforcement. I got crushed, Minuta said, and someone pushed into the rotunda. I couldn't even breathe. It was like, this is bad. Someone from a group of rioters shut the door in the rotunda behind me. I screamed, don't shut the doors! James, whose family initially wrote on social media, he agreed to a plea deal to avoid a threatened life prison sentence, pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy and and agreed to testify if called on by prosecutors. With the police rescue gone south, Minuta escaped through the Columbus door shortly before Nichols and Lieutenant Johnson arrived to make their rescue attempt. 
it's a little bit of a blur how I ended up seeing officers coming out and standing in a line and holding a line for them to come down the stairs, Menudo said. As Dickles climbed the stairs with Lieutenant Johnson, he drew on his more than 17 years of experience as a decorated police officer in the southern tier of New York State, 20 years as a volunteer firefighter, and years as a military policeman in the United States Army, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and other duty stations. Nichols was used to being the tip of the spear. One of those times came in the late summer and fall of 1996 when Nichols got the up-close experience with combat violence. A bomb almost ended his army deployment and his life. We drove through ZOS, Zone of Separation, he wrote in his journal. Destruction everywhere, hundreds of houses and buildings blown away. I saw a car this afternoon that had been blown up by something just before we passed by it. Last night was some kind of shot, nine millimeters uh, outside our camp at the checkpoint. One, he said, when the MPs gave chase, the kid ran into a field. One of the kids stepped on a person on mine and blew up. Six weeks later, a teenager tried to take out Nichols and his watch partner as they sat in their high-mobility, multi-purpose wheeled vehicle, properly known as a Humvee. While Specialist Dwayne Brucker and I were working checkpoint some kid through a bomb at our truck, the force of it knocked me back in the gun turret and shook the whole truck, Nichols wrote in the journal entry. In his letter home to his parents, Nichols said it was very loud, and the guy with the truck, uh, in the truck with me thought I'd been shot. Nichols had long time to think about that during the rescue operation. Six year member of the Cortland Police Department SWAT team, he was called on October 4, 2006, at a home where an armed and distraught father was holed up with his five week old infant son. The man's wife had just disclosed a one year extramarital affair. The man, 32, said he felt boxed in and that my life was over. The man held an AR 15 rifle, a Mossberg 500 12 gauge shotgun, and more than 400 rounds of ammunition. Elsewhere in the home, he had a Marlin 22 caliber bolt rifle, a Winchester 270 rifle, and a 50 caliber muzzle-loading rifle. The AR-15 and the Mossberg lay in the bed near him, along with handfuls of loaded magazines, three boxes of shotgun shells. The baby was asleep in his portable crib, oblivious to the unfolding drama. I could hear people outside and door slamming, so I thought the police were going to come in after me without even getting a hold of anyone to talk to me, the man later told police. He was feeling desperate, telling his mother in a phone call he felt like blowing, like going postal. He started thinking, I, I, he said, I started thinking to myself whether I should surrender or blow my head off, noting the guns were next to me and never picked one up and put it to my head. Amid the high stakes confusion, the man saw a possible way to solve the crisis. He told the two patrol officers positioned themselves on the stairs to get out of the house. He said he would only speak to Mike Nichols. I've known Mike Nichols since seventh grade, and in grade school, I knew he wouldn't let anything stupid happen to me, the man later said. Nichols was not on duty at the time, but dispatch located him, and he raced to the scene on Elm and Cortland. Within five minutes, he was on the phone with the desperate man. I told Mike I wanted to do the right thing and come out, the man said, but I had to feed my son one last time. The man called his mother and said he was going to surrender, but only to Nichols. I know he wouldn't be trigger happy and blow my head off, he told his mother. Nichols stood alone near the front door. The man emerged, handcuffed in the front and holding his infant son in a car seat. Nichols was right there in front of me, then reached out and grabbed me. He said after the incident, Mike hugged me and told me I did the right thing and we would see this through. We're oath keepers. As Nichols, Lieutenant Johnson, and Steve reached the 17 high, uh, 17 foot high bronze Columbus doors at the Capitol in Jan 6, the crowd reluctantly moved aside. We're oath keepers, Steve said as they walked past. Nichols said he noticed some of the people around the entrance were loud and extremely aggressive. Nothing like the crowds he'd seen in the, um, in the rest of the day. He worried about bringing a group of officers through the doors without these, uh, with these hostile agitators. The inner set of doors opened long enough for the trio to enter. Nichols was pulled inside before he could get his bearings. He saw a police officer with a closed fist ready to throw a haymaker at him. Blue, 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 he shouted. A code to identify himself as a police officer. Lieutenant Johnson confirmed. He's with me, Nichols said. To the right side of the entrance, Nichols saw a group of uh, Capitol Police in right gear. Some were bent over, seemed sick to their stomachs, he said. Likely from pepper spray used on, a, on, on, on spectators outside. The Columbus doors. Others looked terrified, Nichols said. Using the bullhorn handed to him by Lieutenant Johnson, Nichols told the group they were going to link up and leave the Capitol. He told them to stay connected to the person in front. Don't stop until the group cleared the bottom of the stairs. Nichols noted that the doors into the Great Rotunda were closed and locked. 
All he saw in the foyer were police, so that he, um, so the fear he observed did not make sense. Why was everyone so afraid? They were dressed as if members of the hard squad, wearing heavy protective tactical gear. He looked into their eyes and soon came to realize they were exhausted. I asked what the plan was and if we were going to take the stairs back, Nichols said. Johnson said he just needed to get his guys out. I said, okay, everyone get behind me. Hold on to the guy in front of you. Don't let go. Don't stop moving until we get through this crowd. He made sure every that everyone was leaving was ready, and then they moved out. The same agitators outside the Columbus door were screaming obscenities. Johnson statted back, make a hole. A woman took the bullhorn mic and told the protesters to not interfere. Interfere. We do not. We do not do this blank. She said, prompting one of the group's agitators um, to reply, "Blank you." As the officers passed by, the woman gave each of them a hug. A man in the crowd shouted, "The cops are leaving. Let them go." He told the officers, "Thank you and God bless you." And the article goes on to discuss what that group may have been doing in there. That's a quiet hero. Funny thing. The Oath Keepers are still on trial. They're still on trial. To all the people in the D.C. jail and the legal system, who are trying to straighten this stuff out to the FBI agents who may hear this show and say, you have no idea, bud, how hard we're trying. We're trying to get stuff to Jim Johnson. We're we're trying to get stuff to senators who will listen. We're trying to fix our FBI. You have no idea, buddy, what it's like to be under fire. You have no idea what it's like to have wanted to be an FBI officer your whole life to see your organization destroyed from the top. To the people who are quietly within the system going whistleblower, perhaps warning others, please accept my apology for not recognizing your sacrifice on a daily basis. Please forgive me for insisting that you do it my way. When perhaps you're making changes inside that I can't see. Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. For all the quiet heroes, people who've done it in that style, wise and quiet, let me just apologize for not recognizing you prior to this. And let me thank my friend for reminding me that not everybody does it this way. And let's praise God For all around us, there are people, children of God, some of them, all of them creations of God, doing a godly thing by trying to right this ship from the inside. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and thank you for forgiving me for acting so pridefully.